0: Everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. And uh, just a cozy chat tonight. You, me, laptop computer, Georgia football, Georgia men's basketball, Georgia women's basketball. We got a lot to talk about. And let's start with the news. Joni Taylor and the Lady Bulldogs with the win over Drexel advanced to round two, 67-53. We got Brandon Such covering that for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, our partners as well as us at Dog Nation, you can check that story out online. Brandon doing a nice, nice job in San Antonio, noting that this was the first time that Joni used a new lineup. Now, not exactly sure why. Maybe an ankle sprain here. Uh, Jen, Jenna Jen gets there a little late. Uh, big center. Uh, so she doesn't start, scores all her points in the second half. Bottom line, Lady Bulldogs were a little rusty, coming out of the gate, fell behind, found themselves in the second half. I kind of like it when the team has a little bit of adversity early on kind of brings that sense of urgency, kind of gets everybody on edge. Like, Oh yeah, this isn't going to be easy. These teams are capable of beating you. And we've certainly seen that in the men's tournament. People ask me, who do you got in your bracket? I said, you know what, this year, I didn't even do one. Didn't even, I said, these conferences have not played. These scenes are whacked out. We don't really know who's who, Because there wasn't a lot of that intra-conference play. Like, did you know how good the Pac-12 was? Did you know how bad the Big Ten was? Everybody talked about how good the Big 12 was. Well, I didn't see too much of that, right? ACC, where are you? You know, it's, it's very fascinating to see some of the wins and upsets. We call them upsets because of the brackets. But because there wasn't any or because there wasn't as much or as many transitive properties, it was hard to really know. Think about it. it. Football has to go through this every year, right? Usually, basketball is a little bit more dialed in because they play so many games, right? After season, seems like it's out of conference. November, December, and then the conference schedules kick in. January, February, and then we're in March Madness. So, the, but the, that early November, December schedule, you kind of get a read on what conference is what, and you know, yada yada. Who's the best? Ohio State gone. Right, Illinois gone. Like these were teams that people were picking in their bracket to win it out. Michigan's still in there. Uh, man, SEC. Alabama looks good. Arkansas looks good. Uh, Tennessee disappointing. Tennessee, you know, first round loss. You got the third highest paid coach in college basketball, five million, making almost as much, twice as much as Tom Crean, and gets out in the first round. Uh, not good. Florida falls to Oral Roberts. How about that? Uh, quite an upset. I really like this Florida team. I, I like their athleticism. I like their point guard. I was surprised by that. I thought Florida might be a team. Missouri falls in a really close game for Oklahoma. Feel for Conzo Martin. Conzo, a good guy, does it the right way. You know, as I've told you before, you want to see the good guys that do it the right way win. That's a tough loss for Conzo. But they played Oklahoma tight. Remember that Oklahoma team beat Alabama 19. Uh, Alabama may get Maryland again. I haven't seen the final, but Maryland was a team that beat Alabama earlier this year. So Alabama fans, they're a little nervous. They've done a lot of talking up the tide, but we're going to see what's going to happen. I think Alabama should win. I like Alabama and Arkansas to get to the Elite Eight. That might be a little bit of the SEC in me coming out. But I think those are two very good teams and well-coached teams. You know, I've heard some frustrations today from Georgia fans. It doesn't take much, you know, when it seems like when Georgia basketball wins, it's crickets. And when things don't go right, everybody, you know, everybody becomes an expert. And they were talking about, well, you got Christian Brown and, you know, Michael Starks they They're backups. There's a reason they're backups. You know, Starks is a nice kid, but he wasn't able to give Georgia what they really needed to spell severe with that quality minutes. And uh, he'll find another situation that's good. You know, Christian Brown was a guy with a lot of talent, uh, but just, you know, he had some injuries. And I'm just not sure that he had the intensity and the work ethic that it takes in a place like Georgia and the SEC. Like the SEC, you saw it. Vanderbilt lost to Alabama by three points, the worst team and the best team. It's not as much difference as you think. Uh, I thought Georgia, from a talent standpoint, uh, was good, but from a size standpoint, major issues. Not having a big or two or a rim protector, that'd be like trying to win an SEC football without a good offensive or defensive line. You're doing it with mirrors. And Georgia did that because they had a great point guard in Severe and KD proved explosive. And I really, really like Tumani Kamara really liked his kid from Brussels, Belgium. And that's kind of your nucleus. I thought Ty Fagan would, would stay in there and play that role. But then he says he wants to transfer. He wants a bigger role. And, but here's the thing Ty Fagan's six foot three and he shoots 25% from three and 55% from the free throw line. You can't get more minutes at six three. I'm sorry, 27% from three. You've got to shoot better if you're six foot three. You can't just live off your transition offense, right? So, you know, I don't know who's advising Ty. I wouldn't be surprised. Part of me thinks I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up staying at Georgia. Simply because I don't know if he's going to get a better opportunity anywhere else. I don't know who takes a six foot three guy that shoots 55% from the free throw line and 27% from three. You're either not working hard enough at it or you're not a good shooter. You're a junior. I mean, th- this is real talk tonight, right? That's what we do on Ingles on the Beat. I give you real talk. Maybe a little Friday night might mixed in tonight with no guests. We've had such a great run of guests. Uh, Monty Rice, Eric Stokes, Ben Cleveland, Sam Pittman, uh, Mel Tucker, Shane Beamer. We've been very fortunate to have a great run of guests uh, because of the Dog Nation, because of you guys, because people know how much you love the show and how you support Georgia football, and they know when they come on the show that I'm going to put them in a format where they can reach their audience, right? I don't have any gotcha trick questions for these guys, uh, it's an opportunity for them to talk to the audience about things you want to know. And so tonight I said, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to, uh, what's that called when they do the raps without having pre-rehearsed it? Freeform, right? I'm going to go freeform tonight. Get back to that. So getting back to Georgia basketball though, uh, complaints about, Crean. listen, three years in for Crean, he said it and he got in trouble for saying it, but, but the reality of it is he probably should have got rid of a lot of those seniors his first year. Instead, they were on scholarship at Georgia. He was loyal to them and they just did not have a winning mentality. Folks. I got to tell you, I was in there. I saw it. I asked the questions. I'd be amazed. I'd say, like, I wanted to say, don't you care? I mean, they were just, they just seemed completely indifferent. I'm just glad to graduate from here. You know Uh, there's many rings in a tree in life. You know, you're just like, Like, aren't you angry? Are you like, and poor Nick Claxton sitting there looking confused because he cared. And and Nick got so much better Crean's first year. He had to go pro, right? And he he developed and he's doing fine in the NBA now. Um, Same thing with Ant-Man last year. When Ant-Man came in, he didn't know how to move without the ball. He didn't know how to catch and shoot. Uh, What he did have was that man-child potential. You're seeing it now. The NBA is a different game. I heard I had somebody ask me, yeah, well, why couldn't Crean get that out of him? Because it's not the NBA. Because you don't have four other guys that can hit open threes all day in college basketball. Defenses cannot sag in the NBA. They spread, they isolate, and it's one-on-one. And nobody's taking Ant-Man one-on-one. And and he could have done the same thing in college if he had four other great you know, players around that could hit the open three. But, you know, he didn't. And Be glad that he came to Georgia, right? Uh, and, and the fact that he came to Georgia – and had a good experience, and and loves Tom Crean, he's going to endorse Georgia, just like Dwayne Wade endorses Crean, because what Crean did for Dwayne Wade at Marquette, just like Victor Aladipo, NBA All-Star, endorses Crean because of how Crean developed him at Indiana. Well, now you add add Anthony Antman Edwards to this arsenal of NBA players that would tell recruits, play for this guy. He's going to help you. Now, I've had some people say, well, he doesn't seem like him. I don't even know what that means. I don't, You know, Crean is a no-nonsense basketball coach. He's a tactician. Uh, he likes his players. He treats them well. He doesn't pull them out when they miss a shot. It's all about effort with him. But they know if they do what he says, they're going to get the open looks. You just got to have guys that hit them, right? And a lot of that's work. I, I, I asked a couple questions to players this year. They probably didn't like it. Uh, I'm going to throw a name out there. You know, all my all my uh, Dog Nation teammates say, Mike, you don't help yourself when you bring up Tennessee. But I got to tell you, I covered the most prolific three-point shooter of this millennium in Chris Lofton. And Lofton was amazing. You remember him. He was the coach killer. Dennis Felton probably still sees him in his nightmares. Lofton would hit six or eight against Georgia regularly. For some reason, he killed Georgia. But I used to cover the open practices And I would sit there and be writing my practice report after practice. And Lofton would be there, I'm not joking, literally shooting 500 shots. The year he had cancer, he was staying. And the trainer came in and said, Chris, you got to leave. We're turning the lights out on you, man. He said, OK. And I go, well, guess it's an early night for you. He said, nope, going to the rec gym. I mean, that's what it takes. So you know the ball deserves to go in, right? 500 shots after practice on the gun. You know, I can't tell you whether or not the Georgia guys are doing it or not. But if you're Ty Fagan and you're 6'3", and you shoot 27% from three as a junior and 55% as a free throw shooter, something's missing. You either don't know how to shoot or you're not practicing enough. So everybody talks the game. Everybody says how bad they want it. But how many people are really willing to work for it? And that's, that's the divider. That's the separator. Every team says they work harder than everybody else. Everybody says they're going to be the most conditioned. Every team and every school I've covered, they all say – they all think they got the best facilities. They all think they got the best recruiting weekends. They all think they've got the best fans, right? Everybody thinks that. Nobody out there looks at Georgia and goes, wow, Georgia's got the best football fans there is. Nobody says that except Georgia fans, right? Alabama fans think they got the best fans, and they think that Georgia fans think they're the best fans. It doesn't work that way. Right, it's it's, it's, it's a of a, a regional it's a regional sport. That's what college football is. So, so but having been at other programs, I can tell you, I can tell you that Michigan State's off-season conditioning gets more done under Tom Izzo than what the Georgia guys are doing. I've seen the body types change at Michigan State. Why? Because Michigan State is a basketball school. It matters. They go there to win championships. Just like Football players come to Georgia to win championships. I had somebody tell me this the other day. They said, you know, it's pretty remarkable that Georgia and Alabama didn't miss any games on account of COVID. I said, it's not remarkable at all. I said, it makes perfect sense. They said, well, why is that? I said, because the kids that go to Georgia and Alabama mean business. They're the best of the best. And they became the best of the best by being completely committed and having a great amount of discipline. So they are going to be more likely not to violate the COVID rules than somebody at Vanderbilt who's, you know, let's be honest, Vanderbilt, what a letdown the team that canceled on Georgia twice. You think Kirby's got a score to settle there? I think he does. And if he doesn't, the players do. You don't think they were upset that they went through a whole two weeks of practice and Vanderbilt canceled on them. I mean, Vanderbilt's got themselves set up for about another four or five years of you-know-what kickings. I mean, in my book, I could be wrong. Maybe Kirby will forget. I don't think so. Any more than I think Georgia is going to forget the Georgia Tech AD being on that playoff selection committee when they got left out in 2018. That left a scar. I mean, I'm going to tell you, Kirby Smart, that left a scar. That 2018 team, man, they got messed over. And, and you can't get it back. You don't get to go back in history and put them back in the playoffs. I did hear something pretty funny the other day, though. Uh, The Big Ten has voted to move Ohio State into the Sweet 16. And I love that because remember how the Big Ten had to vote to change their rules so that Ohio State could play in the Big Ten title game? So, yeah, they voted they're going to put Ohio State in the Sweet 16. Uh, I got a kick out of that. Uh, Let's talk some football. We've talked enough basketball. Basketball. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's go to the pro day first. I'm gonna save the best for last. I'm gonna save the uh, Georgia stock report I did for last on the on the team. Pro day, you know, we all knew that Eric Stokes was fast. I wrote that story of the 4-2 that he ran down there at the Brandon Marshall camp in South Florida. He backed it up. He backed it up at Georgia, ran another 4-2-6, 4-2-7. Here's the thing with Stokes: this is what they're worried about. And, and I've talked to people that know. Uh, they're worried about the ball skills. Now this year he what, had four picks two in nine games, two pick sixes. That's good. But they're worried about the ball skills, and they're worried about can he be physical enough and run support. The good news is I thought Eric looked bigger and stronger uh, in his workouts in South Florida. I, I almost feel like he's still growing. I mean, he's 22, but physically he looked bigger and stronger. I covered Trey Waynes at Michigan State. Trey – was the number 14 overall pick to the Minnesota Vikings. I think Eric is every bit the player that Trey Waynes was. And, and Trey was also a, a speed guy, about the same height. But Eric is a little bit more raw, and that's a good thing because that means he's got a higher ceiling because he's still relatively new at the position. So I do think Eric will go first round. Uh, Tyson Campbell ran a good low number. I mean, you talk about a guy looks good in the uniform. Didn't have a great 2020, had a good 2020. Uh, but that's another guy I think you see, you look at, and you say, you know what, he's going to be a ball player. Uh, maybe second round, I think. I think Stokes has passed Tyson Campbell. There's some people that, you know, would suggest otherwise. But we'll, we'll wait and see. I think the draft is something like April 29th or May 1st. Uh, Big Ben Cleveland, right? So Ben wanted to do 50 reps of, of – uh, 225 on the bench and set the record and he talked a big game which which i don't know if ben cleveland can talk anything but a big game he's six foot five and 355 pounds so he ran out of gas and he just it's almost like he hyperventilated or something and sometimes that can happen when you're lifting you can try to do too much too fast and just kind of lose your uh, your breathing and it looked like that's what happened to ben but then he turns around and runs a 485 let me tell you NFL teams would rather see that 485 out of a 350 pound guy than the 50 reps on the bench. And here's why. Because when you are athletic enough to run a 485, and Jim Nagy told me this, and Jim scouted for Belichick and Pete Carroll and Mike Holmgren. He's got six Super Bowl rings. He's now the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You've seen him. He's a Dog Nation friend, a regular guest of ours, does a great job for us. We really, really appreciate our friendship with Jim Nagy. He's very helpful. Um, it's a two-way street, though. He, he recruits a lot of Georgia guys that go down to his game, so he appreciates the Dog Nation audience and the Dog Nation coverage because he knows we're going to talk about the Senior Bowl because we talk about everything Georgia-related. But uh, Jim told me that there is a correlation between the 40 and the length of careers for linemen. I thought that was fascinating. So it's not that they really care what your 40 time is, but they care that you've got the agility and the athleticism to run that kind of time that tells them about your level of athleticism. And so these these measurements, they're not as random as you think, uh, but they may not be as applicable or they may not be applied in the ways that we might think. Uh, So that was a big number for Ben. Now, Ben's only going to play for teams that run power schemes. He's not a zone scheme guy. He's not reach block. His horizontal movement's not the greatest. So the type of teams that he wants are the ones that are, you know, kind of the, the power teams. So I do think Ben's a third or a fourth-round pick. And, and beyond the athleticism and the power and the, and the tape, I, I just think he's a locker room guy. I mean, Ben strikes me as the consummate pro. If you saw that interview he did on Dog Nation, he was very politically correct. But you could also tell that he was really a team guy when he talked about wanting to have team meetings and parties and celebrations and the guys can hang out and get close. And, you know, when he talked about his relationship with the coaches, you said, wow, that Ben Cleveland – that's a good old guy, you know. I bet there's, I bet, I bet he doesn't got an enemy on the whole team, because uh, he's such a good person. He's mature. Uh, he's got a high emotional IQ, and and I just think those kind of guys are invaluable to have a guy like Ben Cleveland around. A- a- and another guy we had on that is also invaluable is Monty Rice. You know, so you got to have the locker room uh, guy like Ben, but you also got to have the butt kicker. You also got to have a guy like Monty Rice that's that's not afraid to come up and tell you. Hey, man, you need to get this right. And Monty did a great job directing traffic at linebacker. You think about it. You know, you rarely saw players just bolt up the middle for big runs because somebody lost gap control. Or you rarely saw Georgia misaligned. Well, that was because Monty was out there. And Monty wasn't out there for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And you saw that Cincinnati guy cut that run. It was like, wait a minute. That doesn't happen to Georgia. And Monty said, yeah, it hadn't happened since the, uh, the, Ro- the uh, Rose Bowl of Oklahoma. You know, he remembers those little breakdowns. He's a perfectionist. He holds himself and his teammates to a very high standard. And pro day was good to Monty. He ran a sub 4 6 a high 4-5 number. And that's significant because Monty was battling a foot injury all the last year. Really from Alabama week on, uh, he wasn't 100%. And, and that's why you saw Quay Walker get all those reps. It wasn't just because Kirby wanted to work him in there. It's because Monty wasn't 100 percent. He would go as long as he could. And then that foot, you know, and he was getting treatment once or twice a day. You know, as you saw, again, if you didn't see the Monty Rice interview, folks, you really need to watch it. Uh, Michael Carvel, my producer, believes it's the best uh, Georgia football player interview we've done, which is is a mouthful because we've had some special guys on. Um, you know, really only a, a couple guys hurt themselves at pro day and, and I won't even call the count a hurt. You know he runs a four seven nine forty. Look, Richard LeCount's not completely healthy yet. He's just not. He's not back from that from that wreck. It was a terrible wreck. It was unfortunate. Uh, Richard said he told all the teams about it. Um, he chose not to tell the public about it. I would have liked it for his sake, for him to feel comfortable enough to tell the public about it. Because just telling us he told the teams about it, but not telling the public about it, we wonder what she told the teams. And and you know, but I I just you know when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, Look, Richard made a mistake. There's no good reason for him to be on an unregistered motorcycle at dusk with no lights on. There's not a good oh well that makes sense you know unless you're like rushing to you know a screaming baby to the hospital or something, and and you had to jump but it's okay he made a mistake and he survived it and Richard's gonna move forward he's got great tape he was having all American year he's gonna pay the price. People don't need to beat him up about it. Nobody feels worse about it than Richard LeCount. Team captain coming off that 13 tackle game at Kentucky. Nobody is playing the what if game like Richard LeCount. So fans don't need to beat him up about it. His teammates aren't going to do that. His coaches aren't going to do that because they know how much Richard loves Georgia. And Georgia loves Richard. He made a mistake. Okay. He made a mistake. He'll put it behind him. He'll make the most of it. It cost him millions of dollars. Okay. He was a late first. Early second round pick, he's not going to be that now. So uh, I think it's time everybody gives Richard a break. I hope he gives himself a break. You know, people make mistakes. What's important is no, 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 He didn't make a mistake that hurt anyone else. And as his mom Erica would tell you, he was blessed to live. And and Kirby even said, you know, you realize there's more than football. I mean, this was a life threatening situation that Richard survived, and and he'll over. I, I, I'm a predict. I'm going to predict he'll overcome it. You know, I don't know when he'll be back 100 percent, but the fact that he was willing to compete at Pro Day uh, says something about him. I thought it hurt him that he didn't work out at the senior bowl or go down there. He at least would have been able to interview. I thought he got some bad advice on that one. I think he should have gone and represented and met with all the teams. Um, again, I don't know everything, but typically even Monty. Monty didn't play in that game, but he went down there and interviewed, you know, and, and the thing about Richard and you, you guys know this from watching him over the years Richard's a great interview. And it's not because he's a great interview. It's because he's got so much charisma. I mean, Richard lights up a room, like very few others. You know, I talked about Monty being the catalyst and the perfectionist on the field. I talk about Ben being the gentle giant that, you know, gets everybody together and wants everybody to sing kumbaya. But but Richard was the mayor, right? This was Richard LeCount's team. And when he went in that motorcycle accident, if we're being honest, the season was over. If Richard LeCount plays against Florida, that wheel route's not happening because he's, he's back there patrolling the secondary and directing traffic. And it's just how it is, and it goes that way sometimes. And uh, it, it's what's done is done, but I, I'm really pulling for Richard LeCount. Um, I love the charisma. He's a special person, you can tell. Uh, he's a guy that Kirby has a lot of respect for. He's a guy that grew a lot at Georgia. He's a guy that loves Georgia like, like no one else had come across I mean, the guy wanted to play one snap in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It meant everything to him. And, uh, you know, you, you could just tell it meant a lot to him. So I'm excited that Richard's back in the fold. He's back talking to the media again. He's getting that swag back. Um, I hope we get a chance to get him on. I, I love to talk with Richard. He's Again, he's just a fantastic interview. And uh, the fact that he came back for his senior year, I think, I think Georgia fans need to remember that because I think Richard coming back for his senior year probably influenced Monty and Malik Herring a little bit. And if those guys don't all come back, we're not even talking about a top ten year or New Year Six bowl. If we're being honest about it, maybe they don't beat Tennessee. You know, you were down to Tennessee at halftime. Can you imagine if Tennessee would have beat Georgia? I mean, I it, it, we're, they, I was watching the game. Georgia stopped. Zamir gets stopped twice from the one. They're down at halftime. Go, holy cow! That was Tennessee. Kentucky. That was a dogfight, man. Kentucky with no pushover this year. You saw that. Uh, Arkansas, I don't know. I don't think the Hogs. But my point is this. Richard was a huge influence on a lot of guys coming back. And while Georgia didn't reach their goals, they maintained their momentum. And people can say, oh, 1980. Look, you've had four straight top ten finishes, folks. Only Alabama and Clemson are in that discussion. Kirby's 11-6 against top ten teams. He's a great coach. It's a great program. There's a lot of momentum. And Richard LeCount has been the backbone of four of these five years under Kirby Smart. So I got a lot of good things to say about Richard. Let's move on to the practices now. I'm going to start with the bad news. This was disappointing. Um, Got the call the other day about Kenny McIntosh. The good news, there's good news here. There wasn't a break and he won't need surgery. It was an elbow dislocation. They did a little drill, a little tackle drill, and he reached down to brace himself. Fluke injury and the elbow popped out. So Kenny's out the rest of spring, but the good news is no surgery, uh, no torn ligaments, stretched ligaments, not torn ligaments, but he's going to be able to work out this summer with the guys. And these organized practices are big. I think we're three, three organized. I think tomorrow might be practice four. They're big, right? It's big to be able to work together as a team. And um, and Kirby and and, and Kirby and Munkin and Lanny will have a, a really good idea of where they're at after the spring with 16 enrollees. That's huge. Also, you still got four more guys coming in probably a couple of grad transfers or transfers at DB, but I think George is going to have a good idea where they're at, but uh, the, the off season when, when JT and Carson and Stetson uh, and, and Brock throw with these receivers, that's when the magic's going to happen. Uh, you know, right now, everybody's working hard but it's those voluntary workouts. Remember earlier in the show I was talking about free throw shooting and extra shooting after practice, you know, Joe Burrow and LSU won their championship in the summer, hanging around, being tight with Burrow teaching. Guy JT Daniels is that kind of guy. Kirby, you've heard Kirby talk about how JT's building a relationship with the receivers. Kirby has invested a lot of time and effort into team building. And I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, I really, really liked the, the version of Kirby Smart I've seen this spring. The guy at the end of last year, if we're being honest, he was ornery. He was angry. He, he didn't look happy because he cares so much, and the championship hopes vanished, and and Kirby's a sore loser. Most great coaches and great athletes are, and so that rubbed off on all of us. I mean, Kirby's a transparent guy. You know, Don't say that you want a coach that tells it like it is if you can't handle the truth and Kirby's that kind of guy. And when he's upset at you, you're going to know it. We can be upset at him back and we were, but all that is behind us. Kirby is ready for 2021. He has turned the page, his energy and his enthusiasm. And he is so darn likable when he's in a good place. I mean, he is one of the most likable, well-respected coaches In college football, when Kirby's in the right mindset and in the right mood. But he can't fake it. He's not a fake. He's not going to pretend. He's not going to be the guy that sprinkles the happy dust when he's angry inside. That ain't him, folks. That's never going to be him. He's very authentic. That's part of the Kirby magic. And you got to take the whole package. And I learned that at Michigan State because I would always say about Mark D'Antonio Man, if Coach D'Antonio was just a little bit more open with his practices and if he was just – if he would just smile, he's always scowling and he just looks so – and they'd say, hey, that's who D'Antonio is. you got to take the whole package. And that's who Kirby is. you got to take the whole package. When he's upset, you're going to know he's upset. But when he's good, he's really good. And I'm telling you, the vibe over there right now is really good. Kirby, the way he's talking, you can tell that he feels comfortable delegating that offense to Munkin. And here's what I mean by that: you know, and this is not atypical. This is very typical for coaches, defensive coaches. You know, they, they you know, they're like any just like offensive coaches with defenses. You know, Kirby's responsible for the whole team, and he's not just going to hire somebody say, yeah, okay, you go down there the and I'll coach the offense. I'll be down here coaching defense. No, he helps the offense. He scouts the defense. Because he's a defensive mastermind, so he can look at defenses and tell the offense coordinator, "Here, here's what they're trying to do. This is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm picking up on." I mean, Kirby Smart won four national titles as Saban's coordinator. I don't think Saban wins four national titles without Kirby Smart. That's the one thing the Alabama people always leave out of the discussion. But my point is this: he's seen enough of Munkins offense to believe in it, and he's seen enough of J.T. Daniels to say that J.T. fits Mucken's offense. He didn't say JT fits the Georgia offense. He said JT fits Monkins offense. That's the delegation that you've been waiting for. All right. We'll see if it works out. Um, I think it will. I, I absolutely think it will. JT looks so good. I see the increased mobility. You know, I don't want to say I was laughing earlier this offseason, but people breaking down, well, look at that. JT's form is off. You think? The guy's knee ain't right. He ain't planting on it. Hello. It's not that he doesn't know the proper form. He's been going to Palmer, uh, Jordan Palmer, for the best quarterbacks coach in the country for years. Uh, It's that the knee was bad. That's why the form was bad. He was compensating. I don't see that now. Knee looks great. Looks brand new. But good as new. And that's huge. And you saw that little mobility he showed you against Mississippi State on that spin turn. Through a perfect pass, the only pass I've ever seen Piggins drop. But uh, so that's great. And, 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 you know, people, when is he going to take the handcuffs? I take the handcuffs off when he thinks that's how you win games. Listen, man, Kirby's not an ego guy. He just wants to win games. He's going to do what wins games. Okay. If he thinks running the ball is going to win games, he's going to do that. The only issue that I took in my Monday morning quarterbacking was that I thought he should have thrown the ball more in the fourth quarter, some games, and got receivers involved and put more points on the board. But Kirby has got a certain air of dignity. Uh, He's not a guy that wants to run up to score. He he doesn't believe in that. Um, But I think the world we're in now, when you got some of these knuckleheads on the college football playoff committee that look at, oh, well, look at their offensive ranking. Oh, Oh, well, they're in the Big Ten or Big 12. Yeah, you think Oklahoma's going to score a lot of points in the Big 12? Okay, that's why they're ranked high. You know, you think Kirby's running? No. Kirby's not even throwing it in the fourth quarter. You know, if he was, he could do that. But he's in the SEC, you don't do that. Well, maybe now you do. Right? Even Saban really doesn't throw the ball a lot in the fourth quarter. But I think what Kirby's recognized, and this is a byproduct of the transfers, is you've got to keep these guys happy. You know, or else they're gone. So instead of handing off to Dejan Edwards 14 times, and Dejan did a nice job with those carries, but maybe you throw it. A few throws here to this kid. You know, maybe Washington gets a few throws and, and, you know, Jermaine Burton, and, and you put the ball in their hands, you give them a little sugar and you spread it out because you want to keep them happy. You want to get them reps. Kirby's never thought that way because, again, he's focused on winning the game, and once the game's in hand, he's smart. So part of it is being a gentleman, not running it up. But the other part is to keep the clock moving. Why would you want to run? I'm going to throw a, a hypothetical out there. You're beating somebody 40 to 20 going into the fourth quarter. Okay. If you keep throwing the ball with your starter, a couple things. Your starter could get injured. Nick Saban, Tua Tagovailoa, Tongvailoa, right before halftime against Mississippi State. Remember that? Should should Tua have been in there? With a bad ankle to begin with? Probably not. If he wasn't Nick Saban, he'd get called out on it. But you you get your quarterback out of there because you don't need him injured. Two, you throw incomplete passes, there's more plays. Well, class, let's figure this out. You know, the, a, a defense, you know, offense typically runs between 70 and 90 plays a game. So let's break that down. That's between um, 23 and 30 plays a quarter. Uh, there's a greater likelihood of a player getting injured. If he takes 30 snaps, then 23 snaps. You follow me? That's another reason why you run out the clock because you're decreasing the window and the potential for injury. And all it takes is one, you know, you see a guy get hurt in the fourth quarter, like, Oh, why was he even in there? Well, if you're throwing the ball around the yard, the clock stopping at every incompletion and you're running more plays and you're putting your players in harm's way. So there's a lot that people don't recognize and realize Everything Kirby does, everything, there's a reason for it. And just because the fans don't understand it doesn't mean it's not right. I feel like Kirby going into year six has earned the benefit of the doubt from the Georgia fans. I've heard some people say, well, I'll listen to what he's got to say when he wins the title. What? What? This dude's got four straight top ten finishes. He's 11-6 and six against the top ten. He's generated $170 million for facilities, and he recruits like nobody's business. Oh, by the way, he's got two other SEC coaches on his staff now, Matt Luke and Will Muschamp. Do you think those guys would come here and work for Kirby Smart if he was a clown? No chance. That tells you how respected he is. That tells you the company he keeps. And he's only, what, 44, 45 years old? Nick Saban didn't win a title till he was 51. Dabo didn't win a title till he was, what, 49, seven, eight years in? I mean, folks, Kirby is a, a, a gem. Now, I don't want anybody to be disillusioned. I don't think Kirby's going to be coached when he's 65, not at Georgia. He could be in the NFL or he's going to be at the house playing golf, you know, because he makes enough money. But, but he's going to get that champion. He ain't leaving. I, I don't think there's any chance that Kirby Smart leaves until he gets at least two national titles. I mean, he is on a mission. That's why he was so pissy. I didn't mean to say that word. That's why he was so uh, irritated at the end of last year because he's in it to win it, just like the fans are. So you got to understand your head coach. I've been around enough of these guys that I understand it. And, um, and I respect Kirby. You know, like I said, he's – He's ticked me off a couple times because I'm like anybody else, you know. I don't think a coach has got to be ornery to the media. It's not my fault, but but that's part of it. That comes with the turf. You know, Pat Summit was like that. Pat Summit could stare a hole in you, you know, and you knew that she was a great, and you knew that there was a reason, but it didn't mean you liked it. You know, I've had coaches slam doors on me. I've had them yell and call me out, you know, for nothing I did wrong. They just, you're in the way. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, excited about spring. You can tell it's just, it's a great start. You know, I, I, again, I hate the injury to Kenny, uh, really impressed with what I'm hearing about Kearis Jackson, George Pickens, Jermaine Burton, you know, Kirby talked about these young guys swimming and what he means is they're learning the playbook. You know, now that you've got a full spring and with Munkin and you got JT in there, there's a lot of teaching going on receivers, learning multiple positions, not just one use Burton as an example, as a guy he wants to be able to line up multiple places. Why do you do that? So that defenses can't dictate who you throw to. Gives you a little bit more control It enables you to create some matchup problems. Remember, the air raid is predicated on guys finding space, right? And because you can't cover the whole field, there's a flaw and there's a hole in every defense. And the beauty of the air raid and the beauty of having a quarterback like JT Daniels is that he can go to the line of scrimmage and find that flaw before the ball stamp. Jake Fromm was the same way. But your receivers have to be on the same page. they got to be able to do those side adjustments, or they've got to be able to read the leverage. Is it outside-in coverage or inside-out coverage? If it's A, we do this. If it's B, we do that. you got to know when the blitz is coming. The receivers have to read it. they got to know when they're the hot route. JT's got to know. Last year, he didn't know. He took some shots, or he thought he could get it off on a curl route, because in the Pac-12, you did have enough time to get that ball out. In the SEC, it ain't happening, and JT's figured that out. And now he's got an off-season to work on these hot routes and get that intuitive chemistry with the receivers where you blitz them, somebody's paying. You don't blitz them, he picks you apart. There's no good answer for this Georgia offense when JT is, and his receivers are on the same page. Could they be the next uh, uh, LSU, Alabama, Clemson? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that Kirby Smart is talking like he's talking is your first clue. Because Kirby doesn't say that stuff for the heck of it. I mean, you know, you've seen the difference. How many springs – because usually he's kind of honoring in the spring, too. We're nowhere near ready to play. Blah, 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 blah. You know, he, now he'll, he'll, he'll tell you, well, we're still nowhere ready to play. But he's tickled by this – like, you can tell. He likes his offense. He likes his offense. So they got to catch up on defense. So I did a stock report today. And you'll see some stock up and some stock down and a player to watch. Really looking for Jalen Kimber. Uh, really like Jalen Kimber uh, I know Keeley Ringo gets the buzz and he was the five star and he puts his you know running numbers out there but he's still recovering from the torn labor one and two he didn't get a lot of reps in the fall because of the torn labor so Keeley's catching up and, and as Kirby said he's dutiful he sits at the front of the meeting rooms he sat in all the meetings last year but you got to be out there and take those reps and and I think I think Keeley will be fine you know by the end of spring not going to say he's completely up to speed, but I, I think I think you're going to see Keeley Ring on the field next season. But Kimber is a guy that not enough people talk about. I think you got kind of another Spider-Man here. You know, when I think about Stokes, I think about Spider-Man, just how sticky he was. Jalen's got to get a little bigger and stronger, just like Eric did. But, folks, don't sleep on Jalen Kimber. He was a top-ten quarterback in the nation. He's a good player. Alabama offered him a scholarship. Ohio State offered him a scholarship. Oregon offered him a scholarship. And just because his name's not Keely Ringo and he wasn't the five-star number one corner, don't overlook him. He's a hard-working, humble kid uh, from everything I've gathered. And uh, he's a guy I'm going to have my eye on this spring, and I think you should too. I think you should feel good about that. Now, there'll be some guys brought in because they lack depth in the secondary, and love it that Lavassier Carroll's getting reps there. Uh, What a special athlete that must be. You know, when Kirby puts you in his secondary, let me tell you, that's a badge of honor because Kirby doesn't look as that as a demotion because he was a D.B. Some guys might look at going from running back to DB as a devotion, not Coach Smart. He'll tell you, those guys in the NFL make a lot more money at corner and play a lot longer. And in his mind, ain't no other place he'd rather play because Kirby was a safety. Uh, remember, Stokes was a running back in high school too. So let's see what happens with Labassier Carroll. The fact that the kid wants to compete and get on, the, get on the field right away, though, that tells you a lot about him right out of the gate. So lots of good news. How about Adam Anderson playing the star? I told the guys on cover for that a couple weeks ago. Remember that? They were like, Mike, the stars "Ah, they're moving. Oh, no. I'm like, okay. Just telling you. Kirby comes out and tells you, yeah, we're looking at him at the star. We're going to challenge him. We're going to see if Adam can cover. You know, could he? I mean, he's fast. He's real fast. He's long. He's 6'5", 230. Can he cover? I mean, he's an unbelievable athlete. Is he the best athlete on the team? Maybe. Maybe. He's freakish. Major Burns said he was freakish. Uh, you know, last year when those guys came in and, and, and DJ Shockley said, is there anybody that jumps out at you? And Major's like, man, that Adam guy, he's long and fast. And he's running with the running backs. And, and now Kirby's trying him out at the star. Can you imagine if Georgia can find a way to get Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith on the field at the same time and Trayvon Walker? Wow, quarterbacks. Good luck sleeping the night before Take a look at uh, take take a look at some of your uh, comments here tonight. See what you guys have got for me tonight, because I have not looked. I've just been going and going and going, because I've had a lot to say, dude. It has is it not been an incredibly long week? Was it busy for you? And and doesn't it start to feel normal? Listen, I don't want to get political. I'm gonna, at risk. At risk, I'm going to get political. I got my first COVID-19 vaccine. People are are completely entitled to do whatever they want to do. but I'm just going to tell you, I got mine and I almost feel empowered by it. Like, I can't wait to get my second one. So just throwing that out there. Uh, But I feel like I'm throwing it out there because I feel like that's part of what's contributing to the new normal. You know, I think we're at 40% of the adults over 18 in our country that have either recovered from COVID or gotten at least one vaccine. So the new normal is on the way. I think there's some optimism for full stadiums. Um, that's, as, that's as much as I'm going to say on it because I don't want to – again, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's not for everyone. I recognize that. And, um, you know, I've got a daughter that's, that's diabetic that can't get the vaccine, right? So I understand it's not for everyone. My mom is older. She She's not going to get it. She's got allergies. So I, re- I recognize it's not for everyone. Um, so that's that. So let's take a look here. JT from Smarts and Eason's Arm. Uh, Steve, JT, uh, Fromm had a good arm. Fromm had a, a really good arm. Uh, he was very underrated. You know what hurt Fromm is when they throw at the combine, they throw in alphabetical order. And he drew throwing after Eason. That happened to well, a buddy of mine. You guys know Casey Clausen's a buddy of mine, that Tennessee quarterback. I still talk to Casey. Casey had the same agent as Ben Roethlisberger. So when he was throwing for teams, he was standing next to Ben Roethlisberger throwing. Big Ben's 6'5 with a cannon. Casey Clawson didn't look real good standing next to him throwing. Jake Fromm following Jacob Eason didn't do Jake Fromm any favors. Jake's got an NFL arm. I've somewhere got the NFL arm speeds and the speed of the throws. Let me see if I can find. I don't know if I've got it on call here, but I've got that file somewhere and when we get closer to the combine, I want you to remember, remind me of this, and I will show you the miles per hour of all the quarterbacks that have thrown and You'll see Jake's in the middle of it. You know, he was obviously that iconic quarterback here. Michael Carbell will tell you what an icon he was for Georgia. And uh, <laughs> I was to tease Michael about that. He wasn't an icon. He was. He was. He represented the program. But but Jake uh, Jake's a good quarterback. Jake was a good quarterback. JT's a good quarterback. I think JT's got – a little bit more mobility than Jake, um, but I, I think he—I think Jake was a very good quarterback. So, um, JT probably a little bit more touch on those intermediate passes, but very much a similar player. And him and Jake are buddies; they're friends. I, I think JT compares with Joe Burrow. I, I, you know, before the knee injury, JT had some unbelievable wheels, man. Uh, some, you know, I think he was a 4'6 guy, right? I don't know where he's going to be now, but the knee looked awful good in the, in the videos that I saw. So I think JT Daniels mobility is better than you think. And if you guys saw the Monty Rice interview, Monty told you that he's got a lot more mobility than people realize. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Lorenzo Carter. Oh, again, thank you, Uh, man. This is some great comments, guys. I appreciate this. It's good to see everybody. Oh, great point. Gerald Harmon brings up Jalen Carter. I didn't even mention him. You know, you got Jordan Davis and Jalen. How about Warren Brinson? Warren Brinson could be making his move. That Georgia front seven is nasty. I still i am a little worried, a little worried about the mic. You know, Monty was much, much, much more valuable, I think, than people realized. And I'm a little worried about the mic. I know Channing and Quay are there, but they ain't Money. And it's going it, to, it, you know, that's that to me, I know we talk a lot about the DBs and the depth there, but that mic position has me concerned. I want to see more there before I feel good about it. Uh, what else we got here, guys? Uh, scrolling here, looking for comments. Um, good to see you Nash in here and Steve Horde, uh, Joseph Kennedy. You know, I got to give Joseph Kennedy some some props here. When Joseph Stur- for, and he may he still might not like me, but when he first started watching the show, he was a bit of a negative Nancy. But and, and Joseph still can be critical. We don't mind critical analysis. But I really feel like Joseph has become a part of the room, and I like his contributions. I like tonight he's talking about you need to score 40 points if you want to win a championship. That's a glass half full thought, and and I like that, Joseph. So thanks for that comment. I think you're right. And I do think Georgia will average more than 40 points per game. Remember, with JT in the starting lineup, they were averaging nearly 40 points a game at the end of last season. And that was the last four games when JT really hadn't had time to work with those guys much because he was working scout team all year. So this is a guy that just jumped in, and Eric Zier talked about that. You know, how does a guy stay that mentally engaged where when he jumps in, you know, JT had the third best passer rating from the time he played the rest of the year those last four games. Only Mac Jones and Zach Wilson at BYU had better quarterback rating than JT Daniels after November 20th. He was better than Fields, uh, all those guys, uh, quarterback rating. Uh, Let's see here. Good to see you guys' comments in here. Bill Garner, thank you for the compliment. Um, You know, people are over COVID-19, and so we don't talk about that. We talked about a lot last summer, but we're all moving forward. Uh, I'm just feeling a really good vibe, and it just feels so good to see a basketball tournament. It feels so good to see a spring football. Uh, Again, Kirby's mood. I think Kirby's mood has an effect on the Georgia economy. I know it has an effect on Athens, right? It's like when Kirby's mad, the clouds come out. When Kirby's happy, you know, like the sun needs to check in. Hey, Kirby, is it okay if the sun shines in Athens today? Rock on. love my offense, right? And when Kirby's happy, we're all happy, right? That's just how it is on the Georgia beat, man. The football coach dictates so much. And you can see it resonate with the other players. The players are excited just like the head coaches. I think that's part of the fun. Uh, then you cover a team, you, 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 you mirror the mood, right? It's like when you interview people or like when you hold a conversation with someone says, do you know what happened? And you go, no, what, you know, they give you this, you give them that. They go, oh, I feel so bad. My dog, oh, I'm so sorry. Your dog died. Right. You mirror the people. And when you're a Georgia football beat writer, you mirror the team and the coach and the Kirby's happy and excited. You're going, Oh yeah, Georgia's happy and excited about football. So that's kind of where we're at. You should be happy and excited. You should be happy and excited about Georgia football. Don't let those other fans bring you down. Well, you say it every year. Yeah. And you finish in the top 10 every year and you're a national championship contender every year. Do you realize last year was the first time since 2016 that Georgia wasn't a national championship contender going into the month of December? I mean, that's, that's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Every game Georgia played in 2017, 2018 and 2019 through the month of November, the Bulldogs were a championship, national championship contender with a chance to win a national title. Every game. Last year that got snapped when Florida beat them. They lost control. You could argue they were still a championship contender had Florida lost twice. And they tried. They threw the shoe against LSU. They looked like they might gag against Kentucky or Tennessee, but they, they skated. But every game, Georgia's controlled their own destiny towards a national championship through the month of November. 18-18. And 17, 18, 19. That's unbelievable. Um, So here we go. Uh, (laughs) William Gleaton. Here's Joseph Kennedy talking about Casey talking one hour behind. There's a story behind that. I'll tell it another night. Maybe I'll drag Casey on here uh, just for the fun of it. Uh, I need to get Spurrier. Would you guys like Spurrier on here? I've heard people say, man, that'd be fun. And I've heard people say, oh, my gosh, no. But, you know, Steve Spurrier is a legend now. And I think he's a fascinating figure. But I would love to bring Coach Spurrier on here. I might only do it for 10 or 15 minutes. You know, I'd, I'd, need, I'd, need, I'd need my audience. I'd need Matt Talley and, and Hugh Nash and William and Jason and Ethan and Bill Garner to promise me they'd be nice to Steve Spurrier if I brought him in here. Or at least be nice while he was in here until he got off. Uh, but I, I just think Spurrier is a fascinating figure. Uh, I think I've shared this with you guys before on, on, on one of the Friday night shows during the summer. The best piece of professional advice I ever got was from Steve Spurrier. In 1994, I was working a magazine called SEC Sports Weekly uh, by Street and Smith. And I was the managing editor for that. And I would do stories and edit, copy, and write headlines and all that. I was like, I don't know. I was really young. Uh, I was right before I became the Alabama beat writer. And uh, I called Spurrier up. And I'm like, hey, coach, I want to do an interview? Oh, sure, sure. Let's do an interview. Let's do it. Yeah. I said, OK, this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but what makes you such a great coach? He goes, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I, like what makes you special? What do you think makes you a great coach? And he said that his dad told him there was two ways to be successful in life. He said, you can either do it like everybody else and work longer and harder, or you can be different. He said, I choose to be different. Well, beyond that, he still worked long and hard, but, you know, there was some genius in the simplicity of that statement, right? You've heard people say, you know, well, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel. Well, maybe you should, right? Because everybody's still creating the same wheel. So how's your wheel going to be better than anybody else's, right? That's why I loved Kirby Smart saying, "Uh, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. I love that saying. That's one of the best sayings I've heard from Kirby Smart. And it goes to Kirby's philosophy, like Kirby's the anti-complacency guy. All the coaches are, okay? They all have their buzzwords. They all have their phrases, you know, but some kind of lean a little bit stronger. And Kirby's a very much a, if it ain't broke, make it better. In other words, don't ever rest on your laurels. Don't ever, can, you know, the whole 2% better. Like that, that is totally him. And if you saw the Monty Rice interview, Monty told you, if you're not getting better at Georgie, you're not going to hang because everybody else is getting better all the time. Uh, Bill Conner talking about putting some running backs in the slot. I think there's a couple that can do that. I don't think that's a Zamir White thing. Um, I, I don't think it's a Kendall Milton thing. Maybe. I look at Zamir and Kendall as your downhill guys. I look at Kent, at, at uh, Cook and Kenny as maybe guys that could do that, slide out there. I think Kenny's probably your most versatile guy. Dejon Edwards is another guy. If I'm doing the buying and selling thing, I'm all in on J.T. Daniels, you know that. Um, I'm all in on Jordan Davis. I'm all in on Lewisine. Uh, I'm all in on uh, Milton and uh, McIntosh, even though he's injured. I'm all in on George Pickens. I'm all in on Brock Bowers. Right? How about that one? I'm selling. Um, I'm selling the Mike position right now. Um, I'm not convinced that the answer is there. I'm selling on the. Uh, I'm selling on. Uh, I'm selling on the other safety position opposite Lewisean. I think there's. It's not going to be Richard LeCount. It's going to be a drop off. I'm buying. I'm buying on Camarda, and I'm obviously I'm buying on 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 Jack the kicker Podlesny. So I'm buying and selling on some things. Right now it's early. So don't, this is my way too early buying and selling game. And, and I'll put this in writing tomorrow. I'm just, I'm kind of setting myself up here. You know, It nobody wants to be critical. All right. And I'm not being critical just to be critical. I'm trying to give you the best read on the Georgia team that I have, but keep this in mind. I'm not grading this team like a 500 team. I'm grading this team with a championship curve. Like, National championship curve. Like, are you adequate? Are you good enough to win a national championship at the Mike position? No. Are you good enough to win the national championship with your punter and kicker? Yes. Right? That's my curve in my book. Guys have got to emerge. Do I think Jordan Davis is a good enough nose tackle to play with and win a title? Yes. JT Daniels national championship? Yes. I'm buying. Right? But there's other positions I'm not sold on yet. And um, I'm buying selling here only a couple, the mic, the depth at DB. um, You know, the kick return game, I think it can be better. Uh, I know they were good last year, but they can be better. Georgia should have touchdown kick return guys. You got enough talent to do that. Uh, Arian Smith. Let's see what you got. Um, What a blazer. Listen, it's been a long show. I didn't intend on keeping you guys up this long. But I wanted to share a lot of thoughts. We talked about women's basketball. Congratulations to Joni Taylor. Remember last year, she was 17-14. You know, Crean this year goes 14-12. I believe Georgia men's basketball is going to be an NCAA tournament team next year. I think Severe Wheeler is the best point guard in the conference. And people are going to want to come play with him. And I think Anthony Antman Edwards, his ascension in the NBA, t- kids are going to see that. And they're going to go, he played for Tom Crean. And they're going to ask Antman, you know, did you get better playing for Crean? He's going to endorse him. Just like Dwayne Wade does, just like Victor Aladipo. Better days are ahead. Um, Pro day, it's looking great. I think George is going to set a record for most guys drafted. I think nine or ten guys are going to get picked. Mark Webb really helped himself out. Uh, Really happy for Mark. Good good team guy. His stock has improved dramatically with his senior bowl performance and his pro day. It's been said Mark Webb will be a better pro than a college player. It it happens. Uh, And then the current team. You know, Kirby's happy. We're all happy. I think that's a good way, uh, you know, for us to come close to the end. But before we go, um, I want to take a moment and I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You know, we couldn't do this show without Ingles every Monday. The sponsorship means a lot. They're of Georgia football, the support of me, the support of Dog Nation. So if you'll stick with me for just a, a second and, and watch this message from our sponsor, Ingles. <music> in our hearts to feel for you there's been no ups and downs turn around there's good days and some bad but we stand Thanks for watching that with me. It's always fun for me because my producer likes to sing along with that. It is a catchy song. I don't know how many of you sing along with that, but uh, it, it's special and it reminds us of everything that we've been through together. And this is an exciting time, folks. We're coming out of it. The sun's coming out. The weather's warming up. Um, our society is moving forward. And I think we're all feeling some unity and some good vibes right now. So I'll, I'll leave you with that tomorrow, Connor. Uh, tomorrow night, Connor Riley does his show uh, Wednesday, Jeff does his wonderful show. Every day, you've got Dog Nation Daily, Brandon Adams, 10, 10, 15. He usually fires it up around there. And uh, I, I love doing the show with you guys. Thanks so much for joining me. Everybody, have a great